This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the latest episode of the How To Podcast with Luke. It's me, Luke Anderson. Uh, I make radio shows for a living. 1080thefan.com. You may have heard this in the same. It's wonderful. With me, uh, Ben Abbey. Ben, you are who? Ben, what do you do? I, I am the owner of Box Painting here in Oregon, and uh, I'm also the Box Dad on TikTok, Instagram, all those fun things. And uh, yeah, I'm just we're here. We're here to do some how-to stuff today. That's right. But uh, first, uh, how's how's today going for you, sir? How was your weekend? Uh, what is happening? Um, excellent. Quite literally excellent. Uh, had the kids out. Uh, we actually ran out to South Central Oregon, did some picking for some sunstones, and the daughter found a monster. Like, it's the size of, a, a like, a baby's fist. Okay. Now you, awesome now you need to tell me what that is. You said picking for some sunstones, and you said it mm-hmm. very matter-of-factly. Like, I'm supposed to know what that is. <laughs> and I don't. So maybe I'm dumb, or maybe you're just uh, poo-pooing what sounds like a little bit of an adventure. Uh, both, uh, but the sunstones, um, are actually very rare and well, sunstones is the, as a whole are not rare in the world, but the Oregon sunstone is rare because of where it is and how it was made. Um, and okay. it all has what, what okay. Tell me how it was made and what it was made. What, uh, this has for, for starters, this has nothing to do with the how to part of what we're going to talk about. This is just, you, oh, we, I'm sorry. Did you want to jump right into the how to part of it? No, how about we go? How about we go? How to mute your phone? Yeah, well, that was actually the the computer, and yes, I understand. I haven't figured out that part yet. (laughs) I haven't figured out that part. Uh, Sunstones. Um, The Oregon sunstone came about 15 million years ago. A volcano explodes in the Steen Mountains, uh, and that volcano sends lava and ash over to Heart Mountain. And back then, there's an ancient lake, right? And at the bottom of this lake bed is a mineral called. Feldspar uh, is a naturally occurring mineral in our in our world. It creates all glass and tile. It's what's used, right? Okay. But the lava gets contact with it. It kind of does an explosion thing and shatters like glass at the bottom of this lake. And it had copper veins running through it. And so you get these really neat uh, colorations of, of the, the sunstone. And things like you'll see ambers, pinks, um, very just off color they're cool looking and so now what it is is we have the oregon sunstone collection area and it's a public collection area you can pick them up but you're just walking around out there in the desert picking up sunstones and 
the high desert, sage desert. And yeah, it's about, it's a couple square miles of okay. pickable earth. And there are, there's like, there's like professional sunstone mines out there. There's like this one called spectrum mine and it's a big thing. You can go pick through their stuff that they're turning up out of the earth. But the kids and I, we just go, we just go do our thing and, and pick, uh, pick stones on our own. So, so yeah. for 15 million years, these stones have just been sitting there and they just go rolling and you just go strolling out there in 2022. Your daughter's like, that's a big one. And just grabs it. And it's yeah. all right. It's, it's, it's all size of this, this little, uh, iPod holder. Okay. AirPod holder. It's decent. It's a good size. It's a good size sunstone. What's the value of these sunstones other than just like, I found a cool rock. Um, they do hold value as, as a, uh, as a precious gem. There's no doubt. I, you know, like scale that out because I'm not looking to sell mine, sure. but they do hold value in based, based in their clarity. Um, gemologists would ha- would be able to tell you more about it, but they like an example would be, there was a pair of sunstone earrings at the little store, uh, in plush Oregon for $180 little, and they were just little sunstone stud earrings for 180 bucks set in a white gold. Okay. So, I don't know. Whatever, whatever that. And Oregon versus other sunstones, Oregon have some of the cooler ones. Yeah. And the, but the reason is because of that feldspar, they're clear, they're okay. a clear glass. Line, and they'll have these little veins of copper running through them. Uh, most sunstones are much more opaque and they'll just be like a, a greenish amber pink, but they don't, they, you can't pass a light through them. Oh, right. All right. It's well, cool. There you go. There you go. The, Very cool. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about taking your kids out, right? The thing about getting your kids out, you get them out there because they're smaller and they're closer to the ground and they got them eyes that they just <laughs> see things. And so I take them with me for funsies. But they're they they're out there doing much better work than I am. Yeah. When I was a kid, my uh, my dad took uh, all of us golfing five kids, but there's only room for three play or four a foursome, so three of us could play. And then my sister and I were the littlest, so he just had us look for golf balls out in the woods. We'd come back exactly. with big old handfuls of golf balls. So they hold value same too, because then you can just smack them into a lake, but they you can't see through them. Absolutely, but mushrooming is the same thing, right? Oh, there you go. Uh, we get them out mushrooming and they're close to that earth and they can just see those little Heidi, the little Heidi ones and you get them outside so. of uh, chanterelles. I've never actually gone looking for mushrooms and I haven't actually gone looking for them. I've just been hunting. And if I come across them, I get in trouble mm-hmm. if I don't collect them. What kind of mushrooms do you go for? Uh, both chanterelles and morels. So chanterelles are your fall mushroom, right? Yeah, here, in, here in the Pacific Northwest in the spring, we get the morels, whites and uh, black cap. Morales, I think they're black. Anyway, uh, but they're they're excellent uh, in taste, and they, <laughs> I, I okay. The funny thing about describing the taste of a mushroom is, well, it has an earthy taste. What the hell does that mean, right? <laughs> it has an earth, It came from the earth. Yeah, no, they, like they, dirt. They, they like dirt. Yeah, uh, but yeah, they are quite good. And uh, morel season is coming up. Um, Pretty much the beginning of April, okay. right around spring season, we start getting uh, to maybe get some, especially in the Pacific North, uh, like on our side of the valley. Yep. Over on the east side, it's still a little cold. Uh, we don't really start seeing them until mid-April into May. So but when you're turkey hunting morels, mm-hmm. when you're elk hunting chanterelles. Yep. Well, and different than the, I mean, you can find morels anywhere, right? Like a, you can find a stash of them kind of anywhere, but more commonly... You find them after forest fires. 
like the year or two after forest fires, it is rampant with morels ah, because more reacts to the fire and the high heat and it, it wants to grow. But and I so, thought fires were bad. I, they, they are destructive, but they leave a nice, there's, there's something in their wake to, to be spoken of. Right. Well, and they're naturally occurring and they actually do up the forest quite a bit yeah. and uh, everything yeah. thrives after a forest fire. And yeah, if True. we didn't build our houses there, it really wouldn't be that big of a deal. Exactly. Exactly. It's a thing. And the it's idea here's not a soapbox thing. Listen, forest fires, especially when they croach on where people live, they're terrible. But the idea that a forest fire is only destruction and completely misguided. But you, if you've ever gone into a forest after a fire, it oh. really doesn't take out that much. I mean, you, you go through an area, it takes out, what, 30% of the, of the actual timber, but probably even less than that. What it does is it clears out everything underneath. Sure, the underbrush, absolutely. Well, the, the, and you know, the thing for me is I totally agree with you. I'm totally good with the understanding that, you know, forest fires are going to be a part of it. We are really on some tangents today, but well, what are you going to do? But what I will say is uh, that I would like to see kind of in the future is more of our power lines going underground Um, because as naturally occurring as forest fires are, uh, those those high winds that we get up in the mountains and all of a sudden you get those power lines that arc are forest fires that could could be um, prevented, could be prevented or mitigated, I guess. Yeah, is One hundred percent. Well, and then, oh. you know, you can get into about forest fires and we're not experts on it. So there's no need to kind of go down that road. But the common um, misconceptions hey, is all forest really fires are bad. Oh. Not true. Forest fires take out every square inch of uh, of area that they touch. Also not true. Those not are the true. only two that I'm going to get into, and we don't need to go any further beyond that. I will tell you now as part of the podcast, uh, my children are home with me today because we have a sick preschool teacher. So, Andy, say hi. Hi. Okay. Hello. Uh, mine are home with me, too, today because uh, spring break, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. There you go. Mine aren't going to – they're not in here right now. The one thing I was just going to tell you, I just got a notification – Matt Ryan is being traded to the Colts. Oh, Matt Ryan. There you go. They were, they were trying to get Deshaun Watson there. Uh, who's going to play quarterback for the Falcons? Probably nobody. Real quick, I am being interrupted. Baker Mayfield. She needed to check to make sure it was okay to use the penguin suit that they acquired on Super Mario Brothers Deluxe because I said, if you play this game, can you not interrupt the podcast that I'm doing? Percent, but they had to go onto my account where it's logged in as my avatar because I am the furthest along in the levels. But they didn't want to use the penguin suit without permission. Those are good children, right? That, that like, I mean, talk about I, courtesy. Yeah, right. Just absolute courtesy. Can we use the penguin? Suit? Lose it in the first three steps, and the first Goomba is going to take out, but. It's it is what it is. What it do is, I care? Um, how was so your weekend? My weekend was. I don't remember it. I think it was good. That that can be a good or a bad thing. Actually, it was very nice. I the, I will say Saturday morning was the first time in a long time that I did absolutely nothing when I woke up. My wife and I just laid there until the wife lost our streaming connection, and then I've had a I've had an Apple TV for a little while. But I didn't uh-huh. have it. I got the actual box finally for for the downstairs TV. So okay. it's very confusing. Upstairs has the Fire Stick, 
Twitch. You can download the Apple uh, app, the Apple TV app. So we got the service for it. But downstairs, we have uh, one of those uh, Bravio Android TVs, which mm-hmm. Android and Apple do not play together. So there is no app to download for it. So I actually had to get the box. And so I had it sitting there and we were watching Apple TV and the signal cut. And so I was like, ah, well, Wi-Fi's out. So then I went downstairs, I hooked that up. And then I was, I needed TV on to make sure that everything was connecting. And then I got hooked on the basketball tournament for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then uh, my wife and I went to the Oregon Symphony, sent the oh. kids away. We sent them away. We said, uh, go stay with a friend. We're going to go to the nice. symphony. So we did that. It was lovely. I've only been to the symphony once. This was uh, this was the 90th birthday celebration for the yeah. uh, composer John Williams. You might be familiar with his work. Star Not Wars. particularly, but I Star, mean Star Wars. The theme to Star oh, Wars. At John Williams. Yes. So John, John Williams, the composer of uh, of the scorer of movies, uh, opens up with Indiana Jones. Then they had uh, Harry Potter was part of it, which my wife was ecstatic about. Uh, but the coolest one out of everything that he did, which seems like it would be really simple and basic, the Jaws theme, there's no video to it. It's just the the yeah. Oregon Symphony playing the music to it. Star Wars was great. Harry Potter was fine. Indiana Jones was very cool. But when they did Jaws, and you realize how intense that music is, you're sitting <laughs> in the balcony of the Arlene Schnitzer concert hall, and you're looking for sharks around you. You're like, that's some pretty good music. Yeah. So it's fascinating. And then we looked Black. up the guy's musical career and he started doing like uh erotica back in like the fifties. And then huh. by the by the end of the seventies, he was on a pretty good run uh with uh uh encounters, um close encounters of the third kind, uh Star Wars, Indiana okay. Jones, Jaws, uh so on and so forth. So anyways, good stuff. What you're saying is is like John Williams was the Kenny Loggins of composers right like kenny loggins you would have if you wanted to make a good 80s movie you had kenny loggins on on the soundtrack yeah i can see that but the only one i'm thinking of that pops (laughs) it well two pop into my head is caddyshack yeah and then uh top gun but i'm trying to think of what else kenny loggins was footloose (laughs) oh footloose i don't am i allowed to say that oh your face yeah your face I've probably seen parts of it, and I know I've seen the montage. I've definitely watched Flashdance, which, hey, if you're going to have a dance montage, that's, let's be honest. There's a handful of, of 80s movies, though, that it's like if you had Kenny Loggins on that track, you were doing things right. Okay. I'm convinced. That. Yeah, yeah, but John Williams did. I mean, here's the thing is he has a career. He's 90 years old. He has a career that spanned, I, I think his first credit was like 1958. And then just, you know, did music scores or was the um, the leader of the orchestra for, I don't know, 200 films. So, and then you look at, but some of the biggest ones, I mean, dude, when that, the opening uh, theme for Star Wars plays, you know, oh, yeah. you know, you're in for something. So anyways, oh, yeah. very cool to see that. So Dramatic. I you got to love it. Yeah. It's awesome. Yes. Very much. Uh, so. You were here. You came. You came with some intent and purpose. I did, I did have a bit today, um, and my part of today also. I'm kind of curious. I think that there's going to be some expansion on the topics that I'm going to have, um, in particular with the questions you might ask me. So I'm curious how this all goes. But kind of piggybacking on what we talked about last last uh, episode, uh, we talked about how to identify when your house is in need of paint. 
Sure. Now, kind of moving into that next step, um, because we are moving into a time period where I know that there are a lot of home sales that are about to happen, is things to do in preparation for a home sale, right? The the things to look out for, the pitfalls to avoid, and things like that. Can, so, we, can we talk about something else that I think might be equally as important? You're the expert absolutely. here. Absolutely. What not to do? Yeah. Because there's a lot of things that people do that are unnecessary when you're selling a house. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. The other thing I'll say to you is um, there like, just like straight from the go on this, there's ultimately three people that you should probably contact in preparation for selling a home, right? The one would be a realtor, two would be a home inspector and three would be a contractor, right? For, to, 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 to disseminate information that you're getting from all three parties okay. uh, based on, based on those things. So the, the contractor's end of it is one that's only on the experience of as the contractor that gets the call that says something along the lines of, Hey, we're getting ready to sell our house. Our realtor slash home inspector saw some things and the, can you help us do X? Yeah. Right. That's always kind of how, the intro emails or intro phone calls go. It's pretty straightforward. And the interesting part that I always find is we run into situations where a lot of times the time frame that you're trying to get the home sold in doesn't match up with the contractor trying to get the work done. And so then all of a sudden it forces delays, not only in the sale of your home, but the purchase of the new home that you're trying to get into and then, and, and you're always trying to work with this timing thing, right? When you're trying to buy or sell a home, yep. there's a time element of it. And so my first, first pro tip, getting ready. If you have the inclination that you might sell your home within a year, contact your realtor, your home inspector, your contractors, then as soon as you have it so that you can start getting that information, because by the time you need to have them do the work, they might be booked up. I got a call last week. I got a call last week and they're like, Hey, we're getting, we want to put our home on the market by April one. And can you get in here and do X, Y, and Z? No, no, it doesn't. I can't do that. Unfortunately, there might be contractors that can, right? You might, you might be able to find that contractor, but any of the good ones, any good contractors are booked up. Yeah. We talked That's about the, that too. It's the guys that are available. Aren't always the best guys. And then people absolutely. complain about contractors as if all of them are the same because it's like, I got this guy and I needed this done. I had unreal so didn't meet them. So he yep. was terrible. Well, part of it is the last minute uh, nature of, of hiring somebody is going to uh, limit the, uh, the pool that you're swimming in. Absolutely. And my go-to thought process is this. If, if I have a contract, if I call and say, Hey, I need somebody out here next week to do this paint job, right. Or, or any work, whatever it is. And they say, oh, yeah, I can have somebody there on Monday. The first question in your head should be, why are you not more? <laughs> like, you should, like, I shouldn't be able to call on a Wednesday and you're available on a Monday. Like, yeah. that, I, just from a business aspect, how are you surviving as a business? Like, that's, we need to be a little bit busier than that. So, that's the first thing, is call early, get into the schedule of, of a contractor, a home, uh, a realtor, so that they can start digesting information for you um, and giving you those, because they'll 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 typically give you a list of here. These are the 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 highlighted spots. These are the the, the problem areas. 
these are the ones that are kind of medium, might not need to worry about. And these are the ones that are low, low on the list. We're not worried about those. Okay. So. Well, so here's one of the things usually, and I, I'm speaking from, you know, recent conversations I've had with people is they decide they want to buy a house. They don't decide they want to sell a house. Selling is part of the buying process. So I think sure. you're even starting a little bit backwards okay. on this too. Cause I think a lot of, a lot of homeowners are looking at it just going, all right, I need a different house than this one. It no longer meets my needs. I need upsize, downsize, resize, better school districts, whatever it is. So I think a lot of times the selling of a house is completely secondary to everything that they're doing. And especially sure. with the blitz that we've had, you know, uh, putting in offers and doing all of that. And then you're selling on a contingency. So I think one of the things that you really need to do if you're, if you're thinking about this is even get ahead and, you know, start looking at the mortgage lending process, the selling process, all of that. But for this exercise, just because there are so many tangents that you can go on. Sure. Let's assume that you've decided you're selling your house, whatever the time frame, whatever the window is, the home inspector usually comes in to the process because of the realtor. It's not something that homeowners are typically invited. I will say though, that there's good diligence to have a home inspection done on their home. Um, and they'll, they'll pay the, they're normally like five, what, five to $750, yeah. $500, $750 for a home inspection, a home inspector to just come in and give them a report on their own. Yeah. Um, What's the advantage of doing that versus waiting for the realtor to do it? Because in my experience, I've always, well, that's not true because I this, this is the first home that I've owned. But I know that uh, with family and friends, they've always just left all of that to the realtor. What's the advantage of doing realtors, it yourself? Yeah. So a couple of things. Um, if you have your own, you get to kind of vet your own home inspector, right? If you do it without the realtor side of it. The other thing too, that's kind of interesting about that dynamic is more often than not, the reason selling of the home process, right? Uh, it is the buyer that is going to get the home and, and normally you're right that it is the the realtor's yeah. side that will recommend a home inspector to that buyer. Having a second opinion on that is kind of the equivalent of going to the doctor for a second opinion. Although you might get your opinion first, the second opinion first, having another another inspection report that says oh yeah this is this is what we're finding i think the other thing too is it takes away some of that surprise right and here's i think that roofs are a really good example of this in particular not in the painting i think more often than not people go into home sales and then all of a sudden the inspector looks at the roof and they're like yeah this typically they're looking for the roof to last at least another 5 years and if they don't feel that roof is going to last, that can become a very big sticking point on a home sale. And so if it were me, I would certainly want to know from an inspector's point of view, does this, does this roof, do these high points, these, these high, potentially high dollar items meet the, the standard um, for what could be a seller down the road? And even beyond that, you know, you think if you know you're not in your forever home, and that you're selling in, in a period of time that's, you know, say two to five years, it's not bad to have a home inspection done that just kind of gives you a, a time frame of, you know, like we talked about last time, the, the warning signs of, of paint, yeah. the warning sign, signs that you could, you, you have potential high cost items coming in your future because, you know, you're going to have a roof that runs out in 10 years, or you're going to have a roof 
or, uh, you know, siding that runs out in, in five to 10 years. It, it could always be something else um, that is a much higher dollar and much larger sticking point than, than the painting aspect of what we're looking at on the interior of the home. So how often would you get a home inspection if it were you or how often do you get a home inspection? Oh, I, so, um, I, for the record, I have not, uh, I've only been in this home for since July, so wasn't necessary, but I do have the home inspection report. And the way I look at it is more based on what I believe I'm going to be in this home for, uh, as far as the, the length of time. So I think of it as an every five year kind of game. Okay. A good, like I, I think that a good home inspection every five years is not a bad idea um, because of all the elements that do exist out there. Uh, and, and more importantly, with, you know, there's caveats that if you know that you just got new siding and you just got a new roof, you probably don't need a home inspection in the next 10 to 15 years. But barring that everything's not brand new. Yeah. Every five years. Similarly, you know, we do these things as annual, uh, checkups with our primary care physician. Same thing. It's yeah. just, it's the same kind of concept. My, my, my primary, uh, the doc, he gives me a, he does lab work, blood work every year, just as we approach that age of 40, you know, you just want to make sure that the, that everything's operating correctly. And it's similar with your home. So I think the name of the, the first name of the game is, is call those professionals earlier than you would think um, in, in, in your thought process of, of selling a home. Uh, I think that it's, it's good practice to have those people um, giving value. And, and when I say a value, not only the value of the information, but the actual dollar amount that you can start attaining to a budget that might affect your plans down the road. So, gotcha. all right. So two of the, two of the big ticket items that you mentioned again and again, there were siding, roofing. Mm-hmm. What are the other areas that, uh, that can become traps? Uh, I imagine, you know, the story that I always hear is somebody goes down in the crawl space for the first time in a decade and everything's moist. Everything's wet down there. Yeah. Uh, crawl spaces are a big one. No doubt about it. They're, they're always a big one. Um, and if you're getting standing water in, in a, in a crawl space, that's going to be a problem. No doubt about it. You're getting mold, you're getting mildew, sitting water, stagnant water is no bueno for every single home inspection. I think the other thing too, is you're looking at the crawl spaces, you're looking at the foundation of the home too. That's another big, a very big ticket item, right? Where if you're getting major settling, major cracks in your foundation, having a home inspector identify those things so that you can, I, you can, it helps you suss out what is really important versus what is normal wear and tear, yeah. right? Um, because from the home inspection report, you can say, okay, well, we found out we have a crack, a crack of this size on this side of the wall in the foundation. Now we call in the foundation expert and they come in and, and give us their read of it as, as an, as an expert in that, not just as a home inspector. Right. So I think, um, so we said siding, roofing, um, foundation, crawl space stuff is always important. Um, other things that, I'm always curious about are going to be the electrical, depending on the, uh, the age of the home. Sure. Electrical is a big, a big component. Also the heating based on the age of the home and, and where, where it holds heat and where it doesn't. And with the siding windows and doors, right. At the end of the day, um, 
what is that old uh that old like athletics you know you're in sports you're only as good as your weakest link right your weakest oh, sure link. yeah it's the same concept on a home you're only you only you're only as waterproof as your as your best window right uh or is your worst worst window, window yeah your worst window so um being able to identify those issues early um in those those larger ticket items but the thing is is it's how they show up right so you have a leaky window you have a leaky roof leaky gutters whatever it is water is not smart it, it goes where it's going to want to go and where it's allowed to go right so the the idea there being that eventually it will show itself and it shows itself in multiple ways but it does always show itself uh, more commonly than not, we see there's all of a sudden at the interior casement of a window, you're getting these brown stains. Or I mean, maybe you actually see the water itself, but if you don't even see the water, water will show up as these almost looking like coffee stains. And that's the tannin in the raw wood getting wet and then seeping into the, the, the casement itself. Happens in ceilings, right, yep. through drywall. Um happens like that if you're getting the visual of water you know you have a problem but sometimes we don't get to see that and you're just left with the residue of a, a, a stain on a wall or a ceiling a window casement things like that so just know that water is not smart it's going to go where it's going to be allowed to go and eventually it will show itself so so here's the theme that i've basically surmised from what you're uh, listing off here you're looking for structural integrity issues with the home. What you haven't mentioned is you're not looking for what paint color do homeowners most likely buy? What types of light fixtures do people <laughs> want to have if I adjust my flooring? So one of the things that, that I noticed when I was looking for homes was there was all these flipped homes. Mm -hmm. And people went and got them and they just basically, and, and my brother went through this too, where he looked at two homes on the same block yep. and didn't buy the first one, even though it looked immaculate in pictures, the, the entire remodel, the entire flip was done for a camera, the house that they ended up buying in, they bought a new roof. They had to do a new patio. The deck needed some work. The entire house needed to be repainted. And it was one of those houses that somebody was ready to get out of right now. But because somebody hadn't gone in and put in $100,000 worth of meh fittings and fixtures and all of these things that they were just going to replace anyways, they would much rather have the home at a lower entry point that mm -hmm. they could go in and make the adjustments they needed to on their own timeline. Is, is that Absolutely. a pretty accurate story of the big mistake a lot of people make? I think you hit on my number three point is, and I, I the way I say it is, is your color isn't their color, ah, right? There you go. Your fixtures aren't their fixtures. Don't do things that they're going to ultimately redo. Now, there's a caveat to that though, right? Hypothetically, and it, well, not even hypothetically, I'll use an example of last year. Last year, I had a client, uh, they were moving out of their home, called us on relatively short notice, but they were a call from a referral. So I'm going to be the guy that's going to make this happen, right? I know that they got to get this one room painted next week so they can get this house on the market. And ultimately, we would be invited to go do the paint on the their new home that's a full remodel interior and exterior from this. Okay. But what they needed was they had a, a standard dining room, 12 by 10 room. And it was wainscot halfway up and the rest of the walls, darkest, 
pink sweatshirt you've ever seen. Ooh, I right? Like that. I mean, just <laughs> one would almost call it red. Almost. <laughs> almost. <laughs> and all they needed to have done was somebody come in and neutralize the wall, sure. right? Sure. Blend it all, make it look like the rest of the walls, get a paint match so that, you know, this harmonized color doesn't all of a sudden stand out. And they're like, that must be done as soon as I enter. And here's the thing, right? We're talking about a couple different things here because on entry to the home, you can see these red walls, right? They're just, they're in your yeah. face and you can see them. And if you aren't, if you don't like that vibe, that could automatically be a turnoff because now in your mind, what you're saying to yourself is I have to paint that room yeah. for me to like this house. If we just neutralize it, not change the house, a whole color, just make it a, a standard color that's already exists in the house. You're ahead. You haven't made it stand out. They're going to make it their own thing. Right. So um, when we get into the concept of flips, uh, I guess my, what I would say is, is I'm not here giving advice to people that are looking to do flips. Right. That's, that's not the goal of, of what we're talking about. I would say that because they're trying to, you know, put lipstick on the pig, yep. get, get the pig sold. Right. Well, what they're trying to do is they're just trying to get as a, a cluster of offers. It's what it feels like. Yeah. I mean, cause some of the houses that we looked at, you know, they were open houses, but I think a lot of times if you're just trying to sell your home, it's a, it's a single transaction and going in and pretending that you know what you're doing. But the, to me, there's nothing worse than going in and going, all right, well, they did a nice job on this, but this is a little bit off. This is a little bit off. Oh, well, that's that was done for aesthetics, not for function. Because you go into a yeah. place and just go, oh, you realize that everything was the cheapest, best-looking version of something versus the most functional, maybe not the most aesthetically pleasing. I can, I can replace something when it needs to, if I don't love the way it looks, if, as long as it functions properly. And that's, that's very much what you're talking about with the red paint, which is you're getting rid of an eyesore versus trying to guess what the, the new owner will want. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so on the other side of that, right, the other thing that we've done is I have gone in and painted all the walls, all the trim, universal color across the board. Sure. We've done that. Um, and on those homes, a lot of times what I'm finding is the reason that that ultimately needs to be done is because it was a renter that was in there before. Yeah. Beaten up a good amount, right? Did their thing, lived in the house, and it was just left in such a lived-in condition, not beat up or bad, but it, that it did need a full coat of paint, bring everything back to zero and make it so that somebody else can make it their own. When you're doing a full coat of paint, though, there's there's a lot more that goes into it than just that, too. It's patching holes. It's, it's making sure. all of those little adjustments, too. The, the difference between something looking damaged mm -hmm. and something uh, ready to move into. Because if you see it, you mentioned those little brown spots around the window. When mm -hmm. you see something that's beat up on the outside, you assume that it's not running well on the inside. You see a car that has a different color fender. You assume that they don't get regular oil changes. Certainly. Is that kind of the, the, the fair yeah. assumption? At, or at the very least, it makes you curious to go look for other things that might be wrong. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and, the, but, and the assumption is that there are plenty of things that you'll find. Like if you walk into a house and there is a foot-sized hole in the drywall, you're guessing that the ductwork probably hasn't been properly. Fair? 
Fair. Very fair. Um, so yeah, there's, yeah. At the end of it, all that it is doing, doing the absolute least possible, right? Do the least you possibly can to get the home sold. I don't believe that fixtures is going to, to turn, turn the house over quicker. Like, no, somebody else will do that. They're going to have their own light fixtures that they want to get in there. So um, when we look at doing things like patching holes, certainly those are fix the stuff that's broken. Yeah. Fix the things that are visibly broken. If it's not broke, don't fix it. There's no point. So, um, you know, a lot of times the things that I see when people are trying to do it on their own, as far as like patching the holes and those types of things, there's little things that they miss that if you were the next homeowner coming in, the first thing you would say is, why did the homeowner do it this way? Yep. Why did the previous home and every single homeowner that enters their new home asks, why did they do it this way uh, to a ghost that no longer lives there? Right. And and that could be, <laughs> it happens for builders too. brand new home just built. The, the homeowner will enter that home and be like, why did the builder put that there? Like it just, oh, yeah. there's always something that comes up. So, um, so often I think that one of the funnier parts that I've seen is when homeowners, pretty rookie novice homeowners try to do their own like wall patching or, or fill hole filling. Yeah. And they, do the, they do this thing where they grab like the, the biggest glob of peanut butter in, in plaster that they possibly can, can get on that knife. And they just, they think that for this lead sized pinhole, right. They need a glob of peanut butter like and it's like no you can just thumb that in and it's gone like it like just you don't have <laughs> but to. but i bought the spackle tool <laughs> shouldn't i use <laughs> it my thumb you could <laughs> but just Jeez. remember that that spackles that spackle is is uh water water soluble water safe and water clean so you don't need chemicals you can just wash it off your hand what? and it's easier to wash it off your hand and your thumb when it's a little bit wet than trying to buff down and sand down a whole piece of drywall because you decided to glob peanut butter over it. And then when you paint after it, it still looks like a glob of peanut butter sitting there instead of a small little pinhole, like a nail hole for that picture that hangs. We now have a glob of peanut butter that's just mashed into the wall and yeah. it doesn't blend with the texture. And it's like, what's what's more of an eyesore you know what i mean like well and going in and sanding it down means you have to retexture now a spot the size of your fist mm -hmm. instead of spot the size of you would never notice so trying to do do the least while getting the most that's the name of the game um and and really um the way i kind of digest that is you poke at it right so if you're noticing those discolorations in paint um, in particular, we talked about water spots, but the other thing too is, you know, this is a lived in home. Maybe you had a child that liked to draw on walls and you wash that paint off. You can still see that marred paint. You might just want to go through and just touch up that wall or just run, run a coat of neutral paint over it because it's those things that all of a sudden make it feel almost too lived in, yeah. right? There, I think that's an aspect of it too. So you're, I, I call it poking at it, whether it's the water spots, nail pops. That's another thing too. I think sometimes people get really concerned with nail pops. They're like, oh my gosh, I see nail pops all over this drywall, you know, popping off the, the through the drywall. 
those are relatively common. And if they're not common, that's when you have the foundation expert explain to you, this is what's going on with the home and this is why you're seeing that, right? Nail pops are a symptom of house movement. It doesn't necessarily mean it's abnormal house movement though. Houses are going to breathe, expand and contract just like we do when we breathe. So having somebody digest those things for you is also very important. And honestly, home inspectors, they're, they're really good at identifying those things. They're, they're not there for the remedy of it. You know what I mean? As, as specialists. So they're not there for that remedy. Um, the, the other thing that I had listed on here that seems to be a sticking point for many um, home inspectors that I've seen is the functionality of doors and windows, okay. right? Yeah. You don't want things sticking. Yeah, you don't want things sticking. Uh, also, it's an egress point in an emergency, right? It, it, if that window does not open and there's a fire, that is against fire code. That it, It's sense. the way it has to be. So um, if you're living in an older home that has sash-style windows, wood pane windows, right, where they're oh, yeah, the yeah. old sash, um, making sure that those windows are functional is in in the large scheme of what that is. And I just did a bid not but two weeks ago for a lady that she'd purchased the home a year and a half in in pandemic and she kind of bought it sight unseen, you know, without going through and doing it. And she's like, yeah, I came in and every single window has been painted shut. And the thing (laughs) is, it might might not even have been every painter before that. And now we've just, we're working on Yep. You know, eight coats of paint, eight shot. coats of paint we're trying to cut out. And so functionality of your doors and windows is a pretty big sticking point for a lot of it um, in, in the, the home inspection. Relatively easy to fix is the other side of that. So uh, while you're looking at your door casements, just make sure that your windows go up and down, you know, or yeah. slide open and close. Well, this is this is all built on the uh, idea that you're actually selling your home to a person and not to one of those 800 numbers that you hear on the radio or TV. Uh, nope. We'll make you an offer sight unseen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That too. Be careful with stuff like that. But uh, as far as as far as I can tell, that I think the main thing might be going back to the very beginning, and you've just pointed out the reasons why. But I think it's about finding people that you trust, not mm-hmm. necessarily rushing through the process, but, but planning ahead, finding not just a contractor, but an, a, somebody that can go in and do the inspection, but also finding a good realtor. It's crazy mm-hmm. important. And finding somebody that if you're selling, especially if you use the same person to sell and buy from having somebody that you can trust, uh, as a partner. Cause I mean, all of these things on a checklist are great, but I think going and getting the people that aren't available tomorrow afternoon at three o'clock because that's sure. the only person, I mean, it may have been a mistake. Maybe it wasn't, but, uh, the realtor that, uh, that we took was when we bought our house was the first one that called us back, mm-hmm. which is great. Sometimes, sometimes it works out, but you want somebody that's reliable. But if you're, if you're buying and selling a home, it's an entirely different situation than being Certainly. a first. House. So that makes a big difference. The last thing I'll say is uh, when we do get into the colors, right? People will ask, there's going to be people on here like, I want to know what color I should paint, right? To, to neutralize oh, sure. things. Yep. There, there will be that question. So here's my top three Sherwin-Williams colors that are neutral in tone. Uh, Mother of Pearl. <laughs> no. Alabaster. Alabaster is a trim color, but yes. Oh, sorry. Trim. <laughs> but it's, it's agreeable gray, natural linen, and accessible beige, okay. right? 
they they are uh, the agreeable gray is gray natural linen is an off-white without being too creamy and not going to have those ivory undertones and accessible beige is literally what it sounds like it's beige as hell it's it's, it's like a beige, beige that's not too extreme yeah accessible beige. tell me there's an extreme beige what does unaccessible beige look like oh unaccessible beige yeah. uh it Oh, it's a little bit more butterscotchy, I think. Wait, it's got. Tell me that's true. <laughs> tell me there's actually an unaccessible page. There's not. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> butterscotchy. <laughs> there should be. Uh, do, um, you, do you ever do you ever think of what your former self? Uh, for for those that are listening to this podcast for the first time and know nothing about Ben, Ben, what did you do before you painted? Before I painted. Yep. Like, what do you mean? What were you doing? What was your What was your profession prior to uh, what you do now? Oh, well, I mean, I worked as a project manager for. Well, you drove a tank. Oh, oh, you're talking. Oh, you want me to go back further? Sure. I got. You're looking for. Listen, I'm old. All right. Yeah. Fair point. Fair point. Okay. Twenty-one <laughs> year old tank driving Ben. Yep. Looks into the future and sees a conversation about which beige <laughs> is by color. Yep, and the uh, the encyclopedia no, I, <laughs> encyclopedic uh, uh, understanding of the color wheel that is Sherwin Williams paint colors. The, How do you feel? <laughs> I, no, the, the answer is no. I don't think that I could see the writing on the wall for where where my career has taken me now. That's sure. for sure. What I will say is that even in the uh, even in the army, they figured out that I knew how to paint. Okay, and they. Not that we were painting tanks, but we they they gave me many jobs that in, in, required paint repair, trim repair, gotcha. those types of things. So utilizing uh, your skill set even back then. <laughs> if you call it a skill set back then, <laughs> I was I was yeah. I mean, I I knew some things. That's that's there what I go. knew. That's... We had fun. We had fun. But no, if I were sitting in a tank, no, I do not see that this is uh, where things have gone. Where I know the. The Sherwin Williams color catalog, inside and out. Um, although I'm facing the numbers to the colors, oh. like I, I can tell you most of the time, like, like what the color is, but I might not be able to put put the numbers to the color. Yet. If I gave you a color, could you tell me the additives you need to a bucket of white paint to to make that color? What goes in? What? No. What what in what what goes into the bucket of accessible beige to make it less what do you say less ivory or whatever less <laughs> no, the, ivory the, undertones or Yeah, less or was that or was that fresh linen? That was that was alabaster, that less spring yellow. cotton mist. Yeah. <laughs> spring cotton mist. But yeah, no, I don't know the formulas. Uh I'm not good at that part, but um I do have a little bit of an eye for like like mat, like seeing a color, yeah, and then and then matching that color to a Sherwin Williams, okay, okay, color tone. So I'm good. What I don't know if that's a skill though. I don't. I don't like. That's just. I have an eye. All right, you're getting ready to sell a house. Find a good real estate agent that you trust. Find an save you a lot of heartache and trouble. Automatically gets you a second opinion when the estimation or the I'm sorry the inspection comes in. Uh, from the buying side, uh, get you get you ahead of it. So good inspector, good real estate agent, and get a contractor well ahead of time that you trust. 
when you go through, what you're going to want to do is take that inspection, take care of the big things first. Mm-hmm. Then you go back in. Don't fix things that don't don't need to be fixed. If it's going to uh, if it's going to lead people to suspect that there's more damage than there is, fix your small repairs. Then uh, don't go overboard. Paint it with fresh linen or accessible beige, and you're ready to go. Yep. Did I get it all? Did I pass Pretty the much. test? Yeah. You nailed it. There you I go. Park 500 feet from a fire hydrant, and uh, you can turn <laughs> right on red unless it's otherwise marked. All right. We're being interrupted again by a small child, uh, but I do have to ask you a question. Andy, what's happening? Ladies and gentlemen, this is Andy Anderson. Say hello. Hi. Okay, hello. What do, you, what do you need, sweetie? Can I have a snack? Yes, go get an apple. Okay. Okay, bye. Everybody. Yes, an apple. Apples are good for you. Is okay, then you the pull the candle up out of the refrigerator. Okay. Apple. Uh, it is uh, a gala apple, so it is red-ish. Red. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Just, just make, I, making sure that all of our children are normal. That's all. Wait, if, they, if they're eating green apples, they are abnormal? I just more for, for pies. That's all. That's my... I a Granny Smith apple green apples. Oh, I, I'm, not a, I'm, not a, I'm not trying to harp on green apples. Oh going to select an apple to eat it's just it's a honey crisp over and over again i, Ooh, I dig them see i go fuji okay see they're decent though they're all good eh, you know what's terrible you know what's not delicious what red delicious red, they're not right no. the worst they're apple too soft. yeah they're too soft and they just they don't have the the, the bite just there's nothing about them there's nothing about them that's good they're a, they're a it, mushy terrible apple they're a marketing ploy somebody said we're gonna call these red delicious and and visually appealing, sure. You bite into one of those suckers, they're never, never any good. It's literally like somebody for me, it's like somebody took applesauce, put it into a like an apple like mold. It's like a chicken nugget. It. Yeah. And then froze it. And then it's kind of thawing, right? Yeah, and that's yeah. that's what you get. You get this yeah. kind of mushy. I don't like the red delicious either. I'm I'm there with you. Okay. Right there with you. All right. Amen to that. Uh, so we we we've gone through it. Uh, how to prepare your home for a sale? We've got that part of it. Uh, we had we had a false start on this podcast. We did. We did. We uh, tried to record. There's some problem uh, on my end. Not you. You did nothing wrong. It was All me. We had some technical even- issues. They've been resolved. That's how you're hearing this now. You have two worlds that you live in, buddy. You live in uh, the paint world, yeah. home services world, mm-hmm. and you live in the world of TikTok. Yeah. And now you are having some sort of TikTok people's court. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I, some of my content, I'm really enjoying like taking relatively nonsense things. Sure to social media and asking for judgment and opinion, which the, the, like, I don't typically get like a lot of hate, like trolls on my, on my content. And if I do, I just delete them. So I don't get a lot of people that judge me or judge like things in general. So everybody's too damn nice. All of your TikTok followers that are listening to this, you're too nice to Ben. He needs some pushback. Is that what you're saying? No, that's tell, no, everybody. Don't, don't everybody that. that really likes Ben, tell him at least one thing you don't like about him. That will make him a better person. Well, I'll tell you what. They're gonna their their, their start is always like, oh, this guy's dense as hell. He's sweet, but he's dense. Wow, like, he's, yeah. <laughs> awesome. 
But um, okay, so TikTok court. I have been having fun with this. So, right? so you're not judge, jury, executioner. No. You are taking things in your life to the people, to the masses, for a democratic decision on whether or not you're uh, right, wrong, or indifferent. And absolutely. Okay. And so here's here's my question for you, right? This this is so I have an opinion on this, right? I have an I have an opinion, but I'm not going to give you my opinion. I'm just curious what yours is. We kind of just did this with apples. <laughs> we, yeah, we did. Okay. We did just do this with apples, but now we're because. Because we are approaching the Easter time frame, right? And we're kind of moving through all these holidays that include these concepts. I have a question for you. So Reese's peanut butter cups, right? Yes. The original Reese's peanut butter cup, it comes in a two and two in a pack. You get a king size and it's what, three or is it four? It's four, four on a king size. Do you prefer the original peanut butter Reese's cup? Or do you like the eggs, the trees, the hearts that they do for the holidays, right? Like, do you do you like one it, or the other? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the egg and the tree are better. Why are they better in your mind? Uh, first of all, you don't have to peel off uh, the paper, which is nice. Paper I've never thought about it as, a, as that as an obstacle person. Yeah, but yeah, it's, listen, it's not a huge obstacle every <laughs> once in a while. And I don't, I don't know if something happens in transit or where it's stored every once in a while, you get the paper where it slightly fuses to the edge of it. And now you have to effort the paper off. Not a common occurrence, but not so uncommon that you don't know exactly. Well, there's two ways to do it. Either get a little fingernail full of chocolate Mm -hmm. or you have to bite off the paper. But then what happens is if it's stuck on the side, this is kind of like, kind of like we're talking with the homes, a small problem's anticipates future problems. So now you have to peel off the paper. Occasionally it peels off the bottom of the cup, giving you exposed peanut butter, which by itself is not bad, but that means you have chocolate left over on the wrapper. So what do you do? Are you biting into the wrapper to take care of it? It's a whole nother thing. The the ratio of chocolate to peanut butter is a little bit heavier on the uh, eggs and the trees. Meaning heavier to which side? Uh, chocolate to peanut butter ratio. So there's more chocolate. Oh, you think there's more chocolate? Oh, yes. In the- 100%. There is more chocolate uh, to peanut butter than there is. In the original cup, I think it is is more. Now, the mini cups, yeah. now your ratio is going up. The mini cups still have the paper issue. Interesting. But I think you have a, a heavier density of chocolate. Uh, to peanut butter. And cups, also, you get the ones with Reese's Pieces in them. Somebody starts making the eggs or the trees with the pieces in them. <laughs> oh, now you're talking. I don't what? dig those. Are you kidding me? You de- hey, it'd be like a decorated Christmas tree. Did I go too far? Too much. Oh, I mind. did too much. Have we not met? <laughs> okay, so it's I, I find your your answers fascinating, right? <laughs> and so the but the reason I find them fascinating is because. Uh, the TikTok that I made, I think at current, it has like 12,000 comments. Okay. Comments. Right? Comments. Just comments. the comment. How many it views? Actually, uh, views, almost 200,000, somewhere in there. How is that? Okay. Because gazillion Reese's peanut butter cups worldwide, so it doesn't surprise me. That's but right. the reason is because it is a, this is a harmless thing, right? Opinion on something that is relatively innocuous in, 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 in the grand scheme of things. Sure. So it, it gets people to give a reaction. And I like that. The interesting part about what I'm finding from you though, mm. is that in comparison to the data research of 12,000 ish <laughs> comments, 
most people, they do prefer the, the shapes, right? Okay. They prefer shapes. Like, all, like, I thought it would be like, I thought most people would be like more toward the original. Yeah. Right. And, and it, at worst, it'd be like a 50-50 split. And it is not. It is like eggs and shapes are two to one favorite, maybe okay. even three favorites. Okay. Like it's crazy. The interesting part though, is that most people use the peanut butter, the excess peanut butter in the shapes as the reason why they like the shape. See, now you have, so I, I, yeah, yeah, well, I think now I'd, have, now I'd have to think about it. The, well, listen, we're going to have them in the house. I don't actually go and buy them. Uh, here's, I don't know when the last time I bought candy for anything other than a holiday was, you know what I mean? Like we get right now, we still got Valentine's candy in the house. We probably still have some Christmas candy in the house. Cause I'm not just, right I don't just mow through it. If I have a piece of candy a day. I'm not getting rid of all the Christmas candy we have. Uh, by the time, uh, what do you call it? Valentine's day comes around. And if I eat all of my Valentine's day candy and the excess Easter candy, I have, that'll carry me over to Easter. I get into the summer trying to get my bikini bod going. I'm trying to avoid mm-hmm. the candy. I can get all the way to Halloween and then I'm good. And then you're back into Christmas candy. I mean, there's, there's always, a, there's always camping. Somebody will bring candy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll throw it in the hunting packs or whatever, but I don't just Absolutely. go and like, the, I couldn't tell you the last time I was at the store going, I'm going to need to grab one of those king size Reese's pieces. I just, so you know, we are not the same there. I yeah. can pinpoint the last time I purchased candy it was this and morning. It was two days ago. <laughs> It was on the way out to collect sunstones, wasn't it? It was. Yes. <laughs> and the funny part is, is it wasn't a Reese's. It was a Butterfinger. Ooh, Butterfinger. That's a, that's a little off the board for me. I, I don't mind a, I don't mind a Butterfinger. I dig them all. Oh God, I couldn't do it. Basically, if it's got chocolate on it, I'm down. Okay. So, um, the other, uh, what was the other thing I took to TikTok court? Your picture. Oh, I did. So this was last week, Thursday, maybe you're trying to convince yeah. me the shirt that you were wearing was red and not pink. It, okay. Continue. And I asked you a very simple question. I said, can you grab something that is red and hold it up next to your shirt? And you did. Did that solve the problem? They were not the, they were not the same color. Okay. Can, I, can I tell you, can I tell you the big reason why this makes me sad? Go. You just explained why alabaster was a trim color and accessible beige <laughs> is more appropriate as a neutral color. If anybody should be able to identify colors and you even said it, you're like, I can use something on the Sherwin Williams color wheel. You were clearly wearing a pink shirt. It looked red. <laughs> yeah. All right. You, you keep telling yourself that. The other, the other thing I took to TikTok, I do enjoy it though. Like taking things to like, to, to get opinion. It's kind of fun that way. I did that. So okay, what was the other one you took, and then we'll we'll end this. Um, oh, that podcast. was I. <laughs> at random, I had painted a house for a homeowner that has worked with me for a couple few years now. Uh, tragically, his mother had passed away, and it was the that house that we were working on. And the, so the mother's house, the mother's house, yeah. And so um, he's getting ready to do an estate sale, and they happen to have as I'm walking through doing the final walk, we're looking at the paint job. And in one of the rooms, he has boxes of these bags, these, these handbag purse style bags. Some of them are backpacks, different kind of colors. They're kind of off the wall colors too. They're kind of like the inside and the outside are different, but they're made of like a, a fabric. And the fabric they're made of is actually plastic 
uh, recycled water bottles. And the bags themselves tell you how many recycled water bottles they saved. I thought they were really cool. The homeowner's like, yeah, I used to own this company. Five years ago, we sold sample bags. I can't really sell them anymore. Take whatever you want for anybody in your life that you want to just give a bag to. I was like, sweet, no problem. Yeah. I grabbed five different bags, different colors, different types. I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, these are cool as hell. I get them home. I show them to my daughter. My daughter's like, yes, I like this one. She picks up this little purple one that had like blue interior. Really cute little thing, right? Then there was a then there was a backpack that my son liked, right? They're cool. Cool. And so you met two then, people. You got the bags. The first two people you encountered loved them. Love them. Cool. Third person I encountered did not love them. In fact, said that they were heinous, right? <laughs> that they were said they were absolutely ugly. I was so taken aback. I actually went to my ex-wife and I was like, hey, are these cool or not? And she's like, well, I think they're cool, but I know why I think they're cool and why why some people will. And the reason is because they're a little Pacific Northwest. Um, they're yeah. they're a little what you would call granola, okay. right? Like five. That's they're 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 kitschy, right? I don't know what that word is. Sure. So I took I took that to, to TikTok. I said, okay, I need to know if these bags are cool or if I'm crazy, if I'm if I'm now crossed over into uncool side of being 40, right? Sure. Or almost 40. Sure enough, I find out that the bags are cool, first off. That's what we first find out. Okay. The bags are cool as hell. And what I did was I took this one that was this gray tote that everybody really liked, and I actually auctioned it for the foundation, okay. right? I used it in opportunities as a fundraising opportunity, and then we sent the bag to somebody else. Nice. So, and the way it worked was, and I'll probably do this over and over again with things that just come up like that in my life. We did the, like for a $5 Venmo donation, you get your name into the drawing for this bag, right? If you really like the bag. And then I basically just assigned a number, did a random number generator and out came the bag to this particular person. Her name nice. was Melissa. Well, there you go. So it's a good way. It's a fun way to get engagement. So are you, you going to get the rest of the bags and get them on the foundation website? I might work on that, yeah. except for the two that my kids like. Well, sure. Yeah. You can't uh, teach your kids about charity. Otherwise, they'll grow up to be good people. <laughs> Hate to do that. Hate to introduce that concept. Terrible. Yeah, just go, it's hey, terrible. you put in a five, just put in a $5 donation and I will uh, I'll fix the uh, I'll fix the <laughs> spinning random generator number thing. <laughs> Look, we'll yeah. Oh, what are the odds? <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is the How-To Podcast. Uh, uh, We apologize that you have to listen to us talk uh, at the beginning and at the end to find the content that is to sell. Uh, But we do have these conversations uh, for for a good purpose. Uh, The Box Foundation is an opportunity to help out uh, children and uh, communities that are trying to work on uh, their recreation centers uh, around their communities. Uh, it is part of uh, your next venture into franchising the Box Painting Company. Uh, also, it highlights what you do as the Box Dad on TikTok, uh, Instagram, uh, other, in uh, what do you call them, social media platforms. Uh, yep. So, uh, so if you want to follow Ben, Ben, how do people follow you? Uh, I am at the Box Dad on TikTok and IG, and you can expect to see some YouTube content starting up here soon with some Box Dad stuff. We're going to start rolling some new stuff out. The other thing too is, um, obviously, we talked about this here. This will also be in blog format on uh, the Box Painting website. So, keeping our blog fresh at the request of uh, Luke and his <laughs> his army of of folks over at Odyssey Group. So, yeah. Um, other than that. You can find me outside. That's where you find me. Outside. Outside looking for sunstones. 
Yep. All right. There you go. Everybody have a great day. If you want to get more content, uh, you know, how to know when it's time to paint your house, uh, how to other things, go to uh, Odyssey and uh, look up how to Ben podcast. Uh, you can find the podcast anywhere podcasts are available. Have a wonderful day. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks. Thanks so much, Luke. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.